As we get started this morning, this is William Ames, and the name of this prayer is Open Our Eyes, Lord. So will you bow your head? May that good spirit of Jesus Christ open the eyes of our minds, that we may see and approve things that are excellent. May he persuade our hearts to receive the truth and the love of it, and direct our steps to walk in the paths of mercy and truth, that we may be saved. Amen. Uh, This time of year, and maybe this is your family as well, my family likes to watch uh, all the different offerings, Christmas movies. There's a lot to choose from, a lot of bad ones, uh, but a lot of good ones. And so we've, uh, so far this season, we've watched uh, Elf, as everyone should watch Elf. Like, that's always number one for us. Uh, I know the kids, the city students had a time up here Friday evening, their Christmas party, watched Polar Express, which is, uh, that's arguable. Some of you might like that one. It's a little freaky to me. I don't know. The animation's a little weird, but it's a good story. Uh, Another Christmas movie we like to watch is Home Alone. Uh, Home Alone is a classic. Uh, Home Alone, if you've seen it, and I I really hope that you've seen Home Alone, because I'm about, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. Uh, but Home Alone, of course, is about uh, Kevin, the, the main character whose family leaves him when they fly off to Paris, and he's home alone, uh, and he uh, kind of gets in all sorts of trouble and mischief, but part of the movie is that uh, he has this neighbor called Old Man Marley, uh, and he looks out his, win- out his window the first time he sees Old Man Marley, and his brother tells him he's a mass murderer. Uh, and, and so uh, immediately Kevin thinks the worst possible things about old man Marley. And this is an older, kind of has a, has a gruff look to him. Uh, and there's several times in the movie that uh, Kevin interacts with old man Marley. He sees him in the convenience store. He sees him in, in the front yard. And he runs away in terror, if you've seen the movie. Uh, but then there's the one scene when, he, when Kevin goes to church on Christmas Eve and old man Marley's there. And he discovers that old man Marley is actually a really kind soul. He's actually an a old man that has, has quite a bit of heart and a, quite a bit of affection for Kevin and his own family. And in the, in the end, here's the spoiler, uh, Old Man Marley actually helped save Kevin's life from the wet bandits, which you all know. Uh, But Old Man Marley isn't who we thought he was at the beginning of the movie. Uh, When we're introduced to this character, we we think maybe along with Kevin that that he is uh, someone who is evil or someone who has bad intentions. And so uh, when we see the names of the Messiah that Kate just read uh, to us from Isaiah 9, uh, we see the, the four names of our king. That's the series that we're in. We, we've talked about wonderful counselor, mighty God, and everlasting father is what we're going to look at today. When we hear everlasting father, some of us may have a very strong reaction to that name. Uh, we might think it's an odd title, first of all, for Jesus, because this prophecy in Isaiah is talking about Jesus, and we might think it's a bit odd that Jesus is called Everlasting Father. We'll get to that. Some of us might have uh, a negative association with the word Father. Maybe something difficult in your life, and the role of Father just doesn't come to you with the joy that it does others. But as we consider Jesus as everlasting Father today, if that is you, I hope that you will find that it isn't what you were expecting, that Jesus is our everlasting Father. 
And if you've been with us the, the past few weeks, uh, we are in Advent. This is our Advent series. Advent literally means uh, arrival. And so this is the season that many in the church uh, mark and celebrate the arrival, the first arrival of Jesus Christ, his, his birth in a Bethlehem stable. Uh, Isaiah, this book of Isaiah that we just heard from, was written about 700 years before the birth of Christ. And it's in this passage that Isaiah is prophesying a hope for a people walking in darkness. This is a hope for a people who have seen great darkness. Even though judgment is coming from these people, not only are they walking in darkness because of the nations that are impending upon them, they're walking in darkness because of their own sin, their own disobedience. But a light will shine into the darkness. And that light is the child born and the son given that we would just read about in verse 6. And this child we see is going to be a king. We've talked about this the past couple of weeks as well. We, we know he's going to be a king because uh, Isaiah says a government will rest on his shoulder. It's going to be a government of increasing peace and dominion. It is a government, it's a kingdom marked by perfect never-ending justice and righteousness. And then Isaiah puts the exclamation point at the end of this passage to say, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You can take it to the bank. This will happen. And we know it did. Because today, we, we know exactly that this prophecy was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, in his birth and incarnation. Uh, Isaiah 9 tells us that this son, this king's name, will be called Wonderful Counselor. We, we, we dove into that uh, in great detail a couple of weeks ago and said that it spoke to the miraculous wisdom of the Messiah in helping his people in their constant foolishness. And we need a wonderful counselor. Chris talked about the fact that we need a mighty God last week. That the weak and, and meek need to be rescued by a strong king. Next week we're going to look at Prince of Peace. But as I said today, we're looking at Everlasting Father. The fact that our king is called Everlasting Father. Now, I mentioned this. It might sound uh, a bit odd to our ears, maybe even confusing to know that Jesus is called Everlasting Father. And one of the main reasons that might sound odd to you is that we've uh, grown up, many of us, learning and knowing about the Trinity, right? That God is three persons and one God. Uh, we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Son. He is not the Father. But don't confuse this title, Everlasting Father, with the first person of the Trinity. It doesn't mean the same thing. Jesus is God the Son, but what Isaiah 9 is saying is that Jesus, as the Son, is fatherly in his rule and reign in his kingdom. Even though Jesus is the Son of God and not the person of the Father, he shares the qualities of the Father. In fact, we, we read in the Gospel of John in chapter 14 that Jesus himself says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus is not the Father of the Godhead, but he is a loving, protective king that displays what true fatherhood is to his people. So what I want to do for the majority of our time this morning is get a portrait of 
what this everlasting father, what this king as father means for us, his people. So if you will, turn with me to Psalm 103. If you were in Isaiah, it's a few books back of that. Psalm 103. And we're going to be in verses 8 through 14. I think Psalm 103, and we sang a little bit of Psalm 103 in, uh, in our songs that we uh, opened up with this morning. This is going to be a passage that's going to help us see exactly what this portrait of a king as everlasting father is. So uh, chapter or verse 8 through 14 says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to, do- to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Three points today in this message, and by the way, if you've got one of those uh, uh, sheets of paper on the way in, the card, uh, we have our announcements on the front and on the back, you can take notes during the sermon. You can see the three points. The first one is this, the, everlast- the everlasting Father rules with compassionate love, compassionate love. Verse 8 here in Psalm 103 is actually a quote from Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. This is the way God chooses to reveal himself to his people. God chooses to reveal himself as one who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. This is remarkable It's remarkable because if you read that chapter in Exodus, God chooses to reveal himself this way after the golden calf debacle. If you've uh, been familiar with the Bible or if you've read parts of Exodus, you are probably familiar with what happened with the golden calf. Uh, Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments from God. The people were impatient, waiting for him, and in their impatience, they decided to throw all their jewelry together and make a golden calf, an idol, and they started worshiping the idol. And yet God who we might expect in his anger to just destroy the people immediately because of their rebellion. We're shocked, if we think about it, we're shocked that he reveals himself as merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Who would imagine compassion like this from a holy and just God? We would expect that he would lead out in, in anger, he, his righteousness, uh, his righteous anger towards sin, and yet this is how he reveals himself. Uh, verse 9, we read uh, that he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Instead, verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, The light of the world, fully God, fully man, 
king of kings, lord of lords, shows compassion to his people. Fatherly compassion is his character. I'm not going to read it uh, this morning, but I would encourage you, if you want an even more beautiful picture of a compassionate father, read Luke 15 this week. In the Gospel of Luke, the parable of the prodigal son, compassion is his character. Point number two, the everlasting father rules with cleansing love, a cleansing love. God cleanses us from the stain of sin. He does not deal with us according to our sins or in retribution repay us for our iniquities. And obviously it's his compassion that leads to this cleansing. He removes our sins from us. He takes our transgressions and puts an infinite amount of space between them and us. His delight is in forgiveness and redemption. King David appeals to this very character of God in Psalm 51. It's a fairly well-known psalm. I know many of us uh, have read that many times in our life. In Psalm 51, David is addressing God after the sin of being with Bathsheba and killing her husband. And this is a psalm where he confesses his sin to God and, and desires to repent. And in that psalm, he asks that God would purge him with hyssop, wash him blot out his sins and create a clean heart within him. We know that the cross is the wash basin for sinners. It's where we're cleaned. It's where God uses his cleansing love on us. How seriously does God take his cleansing love? Well, he became the perfect man only to be be identified with our filthiness. He became a man to be identified with the stain of adultery, the stain of anger, the stain of lying and murder and envy and shame and idolatry. He took all of that on, on the cross. God is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he is a God of justice that punishes sin. Later in Isaiah 53, the same Isaiah that uh, wrote chapter 9 in chapter 53 tells us that this son who is born, this son given to us, this everlasting father is stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He's pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, but that with those wounds, we are healed. And so, beloved, we stand beneath the blood and water that poured out of his heart, his still heart, as he hung dead on a cross. That's the fount of many blessings. That's the fount of every blessing that washes away our sins. And because death cannot hold him, King Jesus is everlasting father, He's everlasting, and he rules with an everlasting, cleansing love. The everlasting father also rules with a considerate love. A considerate love is point three. This simply means that God knows our frame. We read that in verse 
14 of Psalm 103. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. After all, he formed us from dust. We read that in the book of Genesis. That he breathed life into dust. He breathed life into dust to make us. We also know in Psalm 139 that he knits us together in our mother's womb. He considers who we are and he loves us in that place. He considers our groaning. He considers our suffering and trouble. Because humanity is what it is, God is patient and long-suffering with us. It seems uh, as we live our life in this culture, in this moment, it seems that there are fewer and fewer examples of considerate love that we see in our culture. In the secular culture, almost all relationships are transactional. Do you feel this? Have you observed this in your life? There's little consideration for anyone but yourself in this culture. I was listening to a uh, Tim Keller podcast this past week, and he was talking about this idea as it relates to parenting. And he quoted an author on this topic of, of uh, identity and, and parenting, and, and he said this, this author said this, parenting is the only non-transactional relationship left because you can't divorce your kids and because men and women do not know how to have a non-transactional relationship, people are having fewer and fewer kids today than ever before. You see, moderns don't consider the needs of others above their own. Friends, we have no hope if God does not consider us and our helpless estate. The everlasting Father knows what we're made of. He knows what we're capable of. He knows what we've done, he knows what we'll do, and he loves us anyway, deeply, with a considerate love. The everlasting Father, he rules with a compassionate love, with a cleansing love, and with a considerate love. And it is so often uh, with the case of Christmas, the gifts that we, uh, that we give our kids, for example, uh, a lot of times the, the gifts that we give our kids are actually what they need, whether they agree with that or not. So uh, our boys this year are going to get uh, underwear, socks, and deodorant uh, because they need all three of those. So Jack and Owen, that's what you're getting, so spoiler alert for you. Uh, whether you uh, agree with those gifts or not, whether those are the most exciting things or the things that you would think of immediately, uh, so often we get the gifts because we need them. And so God gives us him, and he gives himself the name Everlasting Father because that, my friends, is exactly what we need. We need the Everlasting Father. Just like we are given the wonderful counselor because we need miraculous wisdom, and just like we're given mighty God because we need strength, we are given everlasting Father, everlasting Father, because we need him forever. We need him forever because eternity has been set in every man's heart. He's put eternity in our hearts, and And so for the everlasting father to be everlasting father, he needs everlasting children. A father forever 
has forever children. But for an everlasting fatherhood to be a primary feature of this everlasting kingdom, the Son of God had to die. He died for us. He was raised for us so that we are united with him. And now we're adopted. We're adopted as everlasting children by an everlasting father. It's what we were always meant to be. This was what we were created for. We were created to be with our everlasting God in perfect harmony, but we could never become this on our own because of the fall. We were created to be with him forever, but because of the fall, that was fractured. This is the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is it not? The invitation this morning is to believe the gospel, to believe this good news of Jesus calling you to see your desperation to calling you to seeing your desperate need for a savior, for an everlasting father, and to trust in him. That's the call this morning. That's the gospel. Fathers are important, to put it lightly. If God has chosen to be identified by this name, if God has chosen to be identified as everlasting father, it reveals something sacred and precious about fatherhood, does it not? There is a lot of emotion when we see or hear this word father. A lot of emotion. I know that uh, for some of you, you're going to be spending the first Christmas without a father or grandfather. The empty chair at the table is a, a painful reality that death will come for all dads at some point. Some of you have experienced the pain of a father abandoning you. Maybe that happened years ago. No matter how desperately we want our, ever, our earthly fathers to be everlasting in our lives, the effects of the fall means that some dads do not stick around. And if that's your story, I'm really sorry. I, I don't know a pain that rivals that in many instances where a father has abandoned his family and walked away. If that's your story, here's the good news. If you're in Christ, you have the everlasting father. And not just for today, not just for tomorrow, and not just for now until the day you die, you have this father forever and ever. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Death will not separate you from him. This is the everlasting father. I want to close with a, a couple of applications. Uh, what do we make of this passage? What do we do with Jesus as everlasting father? Because like I said, father, fatherhood is is so important. Fatherhood is a noble calling. And so I first want to address the fathers in this room. I want to talk to you, you dads. I'm one of, one of you, of course. Dads, are you leading your home and shepherding your children with a love that models the everlasting father? Are you compassionate with your children 
I, I know that I've had to repent over and over again throughout my life with my boys where I was short, where I was angry, where I snapped. I've been quick to anger and slow on mercy so many times. A dad's words, both, both the actual words themselves and then the way you say those words have the ability to bless incredibly or wound incredibly. Would your family describe you as being slow to anger? Is there truth in love being spoken in your home? How do fathers model the cleansing love of the everlasting father? Well, obviously, we are not our children's savior. We do not atone for our kids' sins, but we are called to point them to the one who is and has. We are called to point our family and our kids to Jesus, to teach them that when we fear the Lord, he removes our sins from as far as the east is from the west. We can be dads that are quick to speak against shame in our children, quick to forgive our children when they have disobeyed and are disciplined. Dads, are you leading in your home with a considerate love? Do your kids feel seen by you? Do you desire to understand your, your kids' personalities, their dispositions, the way that God has wired each of your children? Do you want to be an expert in each of your children? Do you consider your kids in that way? None of us, none of us do this perfectly, friends. And so dads, hear me say, none of us. None of us is perfect. We are all going to fall short. We're all going to fall short of this perfect image of the everlasting Father that we have in Jesus Christ. But he gives more grace. He gives more grace. He is able to do a good work in the fathers here at City Church. And I can say that with great confidence. I've already seen it. I've seen how so many of you are faithful dads in your home that are compassionate, who are considerate, and who point your children to the cleansing love of Jesus Christ. And I'm so grateful for each of you. I also want to encourage us this morning as we consider an everlasting father. And again, we hear this word father, and there are so many of us where that word conjures up some complicated emotions. And maybe not even complicated, but just straight up pain straight up sorrow because of all the difficulties that you might have experienced with your earthly father. Maybe that's now. Maybe that was when you were growing up. You might be tempted to see God like Kevin saw old man Marley in Home Alone. That he's scary. That he has ill intent. It's understandable. I know some of your dads were harsh, wounding, maybe even abusive. Last week, Chris was talking about how we would have never picked this story of us being uh, meek or weak. Like none of us would have ever written that story on our own. And some of you, when you hear the Messiah as everlasting father, is not the story you would have written either. When you think of your father, there's too many scars There's unfulfilled desires. 
There's constant frustration and disappointment. There's darkness. But for those of you who grew up in a home of sadness, for those of you who are raised in fear and shame, for those who have lived in a home of deep darkness, a light on you has shone. The king is everlasting father. And he rules with compassionate love. You see, the everlasting father delights in you and lavishes grace upon grace in your life. Your everlasting father rules with considerate love. He formed you. He made you. And he has your best interests in his heart. Your everlasting father rules with a cleansing love. He did not leave you to perish in your sin, but has made a way for you to be free of all your shame and all your sin. You see, the Messiah, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, he is the awesome redeemer of all of our stories. He redeems it all. And so this morning, he's patiently asking us, do you trust me? I know your past. I know the pain. I know the struggles. But do you trust me to lead and guide you as everlasting father? And I pray the answer is yes for all of us, that we can trust him. He is good. He is everlasting father. Let us pray. And so we do. We praise your name. In Christ, we pray to you, Father God, and are so grateful that that we have the picture in our Godhead of what it means to be compassionate, of what it means to be considerate, and, and to receive your cleansing love, to know that you long and love to wash us, to clean us from our impurities and our iniquities. And so as we have mentioned Numerous times already, thank you that we have forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ, that we have life and life eternal, life with abundant joy in Jesus Christ, who came, who ruled, who died, and now lives again and is ruling at the right hand of you, Father. And we know he will come again. We know we will see our good king, we will see the everlasting father with our own eyes, and we long for that day. I pray that you would redeem our stories, no matter where we've come from, no matter how we think about father and fatherhood, may we know that you are able to make all things new, and we can trust you. We're so grateful that you are doing these things in the life of us, the life of City Church. I pray for our fathers. I pray that uh, us dads who are called to image faithfully Christ and image faithfully the everlasting Father, that you would uh, give us that extra measure of grace that we need. I pray that you would impress upon us that, that we have incredible power in our words as dads, incredible power in our actions as dads. And so may we love our families, both our 
earthly biological families, our adoptive families, and then the spiritual families that you've given us here at City Church when we love with compassion, with consideration, and when we point all the more to the cleansing love of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.